Hello, I'm attorney Paul Whelan from Afford Law. At Afford Law, we practice criminal and family law throughout Massachusetts. Our fees are all based on a sliding scale based on your income. So the less you make, the less you pay. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about contested divorces in Massachusetts. What is a contested divorce? Well, we've already discussed what an uncontested divorce is. That's when all the issues are agreed upon between you and your spouse. Uh, as you may imagine, a contested divorce is one in which there at there's at least one issue that you don't agree on. Perhaps all of the issues, but there's at least one. So it can't go down the uh, uncontested track. It must be on the contested track. Um, contested divorces are also referred to as 1B divorces. You'll hear that term uh, as you go through the process. So I just wanted to let you know about that. So how does a, how does a contested divorce work? Well, what happens is either you or your spouse files a uh, complaint, a petition with the court, the probate and family court, um, asking for a divorce. Uh, among other things that are filed with, with the court, there are several documents that need to be filed. Uh, chief among them are your financial um, disclosures. Both you and your spouse must file them. Um, so whoever's filing the complaint files them with the complaint and the person who is the defendant will be answering the complaint so that you file an answer with your financial disclosures as well. And the financial disclosures are basically uh, a very detailed rundown of your financial situation, all of your monthly uh, or weekly uh, debts, your income, your debts, uh, and uh, so forth. If you have any loans that need to be paid and that kind of thing. So that's what the, uh, um, financial disclosures are all about. So that needs to be filed. Uh, you, then what happens is you need to file uh, with the, uh, well, you need to file all the, all the paperwork and then you need to serve that paperwork, the complaint and a summons upon the, uh, the other party. So if you're filing for the divorce, you have to uh, have that, have your spouse served by a sheriff. So they just basically go out and hand them the papers or perhaps leave it at their last known address or something along those lines. So you have to put the other person on notice that there is an open case involving them and when the next court date is uh, is scheduled. So um, it, because it's a 1B, you're going to have to go through the whole litigation process, basically. So you file your documents, you have them served, uh, and probably someone is going to be asking for temporary orders. So whoever is filing the petition is the plaintiff. They will probably ask for temporary orders, um, things such as they, they would ask for temporary custody of the children, temporary child support, temporary spousal support, perhaps the, the exclusive use of the marital home, uh, among other things. Those are, the, those are the main things that a temporary order uh, typically uh, addresses. So uh, the temporary order uh, will go into place after, after a hearing, and that will be the uh, sort of the rule of the law uh, for the pendency or, or while the case is open. Uh, that can, of course, get changed uh, at the end of the case. It can also get changed during the case uh, if circumstances change and, and the judge finds it necessary uh, to change uh, those uh, the, the original order. So uh, after that happens, you're going to, going to go through the discovery phase. And discovery is just uh, a phase where you're exchanging information between the two parties. Uh, there are a few um, ways of getting discovery. One of them are interrogatories which are basically written questions that uh, the other party must answer under oath. Uh, and you're asking all, all kinds of information about their finances uh, and so forth. Uh, and there's also a, a request for documents. Uh, the documents to be provided are typically also financial documents and so forth. Uh, anything to do with a person's 
um, retirement account because that's divisible as well. So it's it's uh, th those kinds of things. And uh, if the case proceeds down the litigation route, uh, we're probably talking about uh, depositions that need to be taken. A deposition is kind of, a, think of it as sort of a mini trial without a judge that's present. So what happens is somebody schedules a deposition for, let's say, the other person. So their depositions are typically held in a lawyer's office uh, where the parties are present, the attorneys are present, and a stenographer is present. So everything is, the so there's only one witness, that whoever that witness is called to testify. That person is put under oath and subject to questioning by the uh, by the other side. And of course, there's cross-examination uh, and redirect examination. As I say, it's it's sort of like a mini trial. There are objections, but there are no judges there to rule on the objections. The, the reason why uh, an attorney would object at a uh, deposition is they're preserving their right to argue that point uh, before a judge. If they don't make an objection at the time of the um, uh, of the deposition, uh, they've probably waived that their chance to object to that question and the answer coming into evidence. So the discovery phase goes on for a period of time. Uh, at some point, the case, if if the both sides still can't agree on all of the issues, a trial will be scheduled. A trial is held before a judge, not a jury, but a judge of the probate and family court. Um, and it's just like you see on TV. There's a, someone will call a witness. They will examine that witness on direct examination. The other side will have an opportunity for cross-examination. It can be redirect and recross-examination as well. Uh, so the parties typically will testify, uh, and there could be any number of other witnesses, uh, any supporting uh, uh, collateral sources that you have. Sometimes uh, people will come in to testify about the behavior of one party or the other, or uh, forensic people, if there are accountants or something evaluating, uh, say, a business or some sort of asset. Um, so a trial takes place, and ultimately, a judge will make a decision on all of the issues that have not been decided. Uh, what happens is at that point, the judge will, uh, and, and once the judge makes all the rulings, uh, a separation agreement will be drawn up by the parties in conjunction with the judge's decisions. And the, that separation agreement is uh, the document that addresses all of the issues in the, uh, in the divorce. So who gets the home? Who gets the kids? What is the amount of child support? Is there an, any alimony? If so, how much and for how long? How are the debts uh, divided? How are the assets divided? Everything is contained within that separation agreement. Uh, once that happens, uh, once the separation agreement is entered by the court, a, a period of a, a what's called a divorce nisi uh, uh, goes into place. And a divorce nisi is basically a waiting period. In this case, it's 90 days from the entry of the uh, separation agreement. So you don't have to do anything during that 90 days. It's just a waiting period. That's in case people change their mind. <laughs> you may find it surprising, but some people do change their mind. Even after all this, they say, let's give it one last chance or whatever. Uh, let's stick together and try to work it out. So that's that's the reason for the 90-day waiting period. You don't have to do anything. Uh, if, if, you, if you don't want to get back together or there are no issues that crop up, uh, the new, newly discovered evidence of some sort of hidden asset or something along those lines. At the end of that 90 days, the, judge, the divorce judgment is entered as a final judgment. So again, you don't have to do anything during that period. It just enters automatically as long as you don't and your spouse doesn't change their minds. So that's really a very uh, uh, short um, 
rundown of what a contested divorce is in Massachusetts. Um, it's much more expensive and it takes a lot longer than a contested and uncontested divorce, excuse me, uh, because the, those issues all have to be litigated. Uh, so if you can, it's always best to try to work things out with your spouse, but that's oftentimes not possible. So again, at Afford Law, we practice criminal and family law in Massachusetts, um, and we do so on a reduced rate. So our fees are based on a sliding scale based on your income. Again, so the less you make, the less you pay. We've been able to help hundreds of people throughout our years uh, in practice in criminal and family law matters. We use uh, very experienced uh, uh, attorneys, divorce attorneys and criminal attorneys um, who have your best interest at heart. So if you have any questions, please feel free to visit us at affordlaw.org, not com, but affordlaw.org. See if, see if there's any information there that you can use. And feel free to um, book a virtual appointment. It's free. There's no obligation. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. At Afford Law, we're making justice affordable. Thank you.